You're listening to Stocks for Docs, a podcast to educate healthcare professionals to build wealth through value investing in the stock market. I'm your host, Dr. Vivetta Lobo. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Stocks for Docs. I am your host, Dr. Vivetta Lobo. Thank you again for joining us for another episode. I hope you are all having a great summer, staying safe, uh, but being able to maybe get some travel and some fun in this year compared to last year. I can tell you that in our household, we are definitely um, trying to live it up a little bit more this year with some travel. Uh, We just got back from a a trip down the Pacific Highway Coast. Um, We did the beautiful drive from San Francisco down to L.A., Um, On U.S. Highway 1, uh, we stopped at Big Sur, um, Santa Barbara, and then, of course, ended up in L.A. before driving back. Had some great experiences along the way. Uh, We stopped at Big Sur, which is probably one of my favorite places in the world. Um, It's so breathtaking. If you've never been out there, I highly recommend it. Uh, We actually were able to spend a night in a cabin, which was a lot of fun for the kids especially, Um, and then drove down to Santa Barbara, got some kayaking in, Uh, and then in LA, we actually went out to Universal Studios, which at first was very strange to be in a place with so many other people. Um, It's been a while since I was in such a populated place, I would say, Um, but we did venture out. And I can say it was a great, you know, experience and Universal Studios never disappoints. Um, All the rides were open. I think my favorite or my kids' favorite was Harry Potter Land, which is no surprise. It's pretty amazing. The the things they can do with the 3D aspect of all the rides now. Uh, And then our new uh, ride or one of the newer experiences that they just opened is a Secret Life of Pets ride which my seven-year-old a daughter, Olivia, absolutely loved. And I think we went on it twice. Um, so it was a good time had by all, and now we're back. Um, so either way, I hope you're having a good summer as well and staying safe, uh, no matter how you're choosing to spend it. So let's get back to some of our topics for today. And today we're going to go back to some um, technical discussions and you know some basic stock uh, lingo, if you will. And this is one that's commonly referred to. It's cited a lot in articles. If you read about stocks, if you're looking up a company, you're probably going to come across it. And that is EPS, earnings per share. It's a term that's used quite often. And I don't think we've really talked about it in the past, uh, at least not on this podcast. And so I thought it was time we kind of addressed it just defined it and then talked about how to use it, but more importantly, um, to understand how it's made up. So you can be wary, if you will, uh, when it's being manipulated, which it can often um, be used that way, unfortunately. Um, So it's one that can be pretty deceptive, but I think there is a very clear-cut way to use EPS. Um, And so let's talk about it. So Let's start by exactly what it is, right? So earnings per share is really talking about how profitable a company is. Um, Company profits are basically divided by the outstanding number of shares that it has. So if you have, say, $10 billion in any given amount of time period, 
in profit. And in that same time period, you have, say, 5 billion shares that are outstanding. Well, then you would divide 10 by 5, and you would get about $2 um, for your EPS, which is great. So that's how you calculate it. Pretty simple. But there's a lot of factors that can alter either the top numerator or denominator of that equation. So in general, companies are going to report your EPS every quarter. And so it's a good way to gauge probably the short-term movement of their stock. But one number of EPS doesn't tell you a whole lot, in my opinion, because it can be easily manipulated, right? So think about ways that that can happen. And we'll go over kind of the pitfalls towards the end of the podcast today. But, you know, if you change that bottom number by the company buying back all its shares or a lot of the outstanding shares and you're going to reduce the denominator well, then your EPS is going to be driven up. But in reality, the profits of the company has really not changed, right? It's falsely elevated. So that's one thing you have to think about. But an increased EPS means greater value because investors will pay more, right, for a company's share if they think the company has higher profits relative to the share price. So let's think of other ways. Um, so then how do you actually use it? Like, how does it make sense to use? Well, the way I look at EPS is it really is a good way to tell you what the growth of the company is. So if I'm looking at an EPS quarter after quarter over a period of three or five years, and I see that it's steadily increasing, well, that's a really good indicator that that profit is increasing every quarter. The company is growing, and that gives me a really good feeling or understanding about the growth rate of that company. That's a good thing. It's a good sign. But what are some of the pitfalls, right? So things that you want to take into account when you're looking at an EPS. Well, there's a couple. So first of all, there's, you can get a basic EPS or a diluted EPS. So when you're talking about a basic EPS, that's basically what we just defined. You look at the net income, the profit bill, the profits of the company or the, the net income of that company, and you divide it by the shares that are outstanding. But there's a whole way that companies can add a diluted effect to their shares. What do I mean by that? Well, there's ways that a company can dilute the number of shares, right? So they can decide to give shares to all the employees or certain type of employees or officers within the company. There are warrants or restricted stock units. These are all potential shares that could be given. So the basic EPS doesn't consider all of this, but there's a diluted EPS, which will then take into account all the shares, the, any possible amount of shares that could be outstanding for that company and use that as a denominator. And if that's a large enough number, it's really going to make a dent or change that EPS pretty significantly. And so you want to be aware of if that's the case, if you if there are out potential outstanding shares that you want to actually use that to come up with a more accurate EPS. A second pitfall that I would advise you are things that are called extraordinary items. So the best example I've heard of this is if a company is, you know, sitting on, uh, is, is, is sitting on some land that over the years, maybe five, 10 years, the value of that land incidentally goes up because 
the area is now, you know, genderfied and it's um, the value around it has been up and coming and there's more, you know, people and growth around it. And so just incidentally, that value, which real estate can do often, has now increased. And so the company realizes, wow, we're sitting on this really valuable piece of land and we don't need to be here in this geographic location for any reason. We could go and sell this land while the price is hot and go and purchase much cheaper land somewhere else and you know operate our company just as well. So they decide to do that. Well, they just increased their profits for this particular quarter significantly or they, ha- they, they had the potential to do that. Well, that is great, except we don't expect that to happen again, right? There's no foreseeable or reliable way we can say, okay, well, they're going to do that again and again. Um, and, you know, make it a part of their quarterly or yearly profits, right? It's unlikely to be the case. So when that happens, that's considered an extraordinary item. And it should not be considered in the EPS calculation. And so you really want to take that out. And so you want to make sure that companies are doing that when they're reporting an EPS that is a, or quarterly EPS. And so if you see an EPS that's way out of the norm than what they've normally been doing, then I would question it or look into it a little bit more to see, okay, well, why did that go up so much or why is it so different? The reverse can also be true, right? So if they had an abnormal issue for that quarter, um, a scandal or uh, a factory burnt down, God forbid, or something like that, Well, that, again, is a one-off that we don't expect to repeat over and over and affect their profits quarter after quarter. And again, that should be taken out. So think of extraordinary items when you're thinking about EPS. The third one we talked about earlier, but that's when the the bottom number, the denominator, is uh, altered because a company is now going back and buying all their outstanding shares. So if a company is buying all their shares, well, that's going to make that outstanding share number smaller and it's going to drive up their EPS because of that, uh, but not necessarily mean that they've actually improved or increased any of their profits for that time period. So be careful and you know you can see if a company is doing that um, on a public filing. The fourth pitfall I would advise you against is that remember that EPS is not talking at all about debt. So while they can be profitable, they're their debt is really not being accounted for. And so we still want to make sure that a company's debt is under check. Um, You know, you really want it to be less than maybe two years of their earnings. You don't want a company to be having, you know, a large, large amount of debt um, compared to what they're earning per year. Um, So be cognizant of that. And then the last thing as far as pitfalls goes, I would say that, you know, EPS um, alone doesn't tell you about efficiency. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look at two different companies and they both have the same EPS value, but one company has used half or much less capital to get to that EPS. Well, clearly they're doing a better job or a more efficient job, um, if you will, in getting to that EPS. And so if I had to pick between one, those two companies, you'd want to pick the company with the more efficiency that use less capital to get to the same amount of EPS. Um, so just because they have the same EPS doesn't mean that they're equal 
um, in value as far as um, as an investor goes. So to conclude, I'd probably say the way I look at EPS is I think it's better to look at it as a growth rate indicator. So you want to look at the EPS over time. Um, and you also want to look at cash flow, right? Because that'll actually tell you how much money, actual money is, 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 is being handled within, is able to be handled within that company. So I kind of look at it together. I don't look at EPS as definitely not just for one quarter. You want to look at it over time, but you also want to look at the cash flow and make sure that the cash, cash flow is steadily increasing as that EPS is increasing as well. And so that makes more sense. Um, so that's it. That's really the nuts and bolts of EPS. I hope that that was helpful. Um, we're going to go over some more technical terms in the weeks coming. So I hope you uh, stay tuned and I will see you back next week. Take care, guys. Have a great day and cheers. Stocks for Docs is a podcast designed to educate healthcare professionals on building wealth through value investing. Take the first steps towards securing your future and listen weekly. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn as Stocks for Docs.